say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. Hey, I'm Adam Carolla. Hi, my name is Penn Gillette. Not only listening, I'm the guest. I'm a pen and teller, and I am the fourth listener. And I am the fourth listener. And that must make me at least the fourth listener. To keep our three listeners coming back, we must be doing something right. And if you're the fourth listener, we thank you for the support. You can get every episode with no ads at patreon.com slash David C. Smalley and take advantage of your fourth listener status. And we're going to sue David Smalley for slander. With a world divided... It's time to resurrect nuance and remember the importance of conversation. He's an actor, he's a comedian, and he'll make you think. This is David C. Smalley. Yes, it is. Thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast today. Appreciate you joining me as always. And if you're not checking out... The new podcast I'm doing with Talissa, you're missing out. It's called Daughter Issues. Uh, We're going to be putting sporadic episodes, like maybe one every five or something, out to the public and on YouTube for Daughter Issues. But if you want to get all of them and the video and everything that's happening in the studio, go to DaughterPod.com. That's our Patreon platform, DaughterPod.com. Uh, it's a lot of fun. We basically just have a good time making fun of each other for our giant generation gap, and it's a blast. And if you're not following us on TikTok, you're missing out because that's where the little clips go. So uh, daughterpod.com, go check that out. Here recently, I mean, I've been covering the January 6th hearings. I haven't done uh, the, the last hearing yet, but I'm I'm going to do a recap of it soon. I'm way behind the game on it. I've just been so busy, mostly with daughter issues, uh, but... It's been a scary place. It's been a scary time to be alive. And when things get scary, I have a few people in my life that I can call on and say, help, uh, explain what's going on. And more importantly, what are some solutions? What can we do to make this world a better place? Things aren't supposed to be getting worse. They're supposed to be getting better. What the hell is happening? Especially when we've got all three branches of the government We voted in droves to say we're sick of this conservative shit. Let's go liberal. The majority of the country seems to be liberal. Why is the Supreme Court suddenly flipping all of these major decisions and 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 ruling in ways that seem to go against the popular vote? How did we get here? What happens? I'm scared. When it comes to Supreme Court stuff, when it comes to constitutional stuff, I've got a friend 
that that I reach out to. I mean, I'd love to just have a beer with him one day and hang out, but every time we get together, we end up doing worky stuff because we're both so damn passionate about it. My guest today is the Vice President of Strategic Communications for Americans United for the Separation of Church and State. He's a constitutional attorney, and he's an author. He's got a brand new book out called American Crusade, How the Supreme Court is Weaponizing Religious Freedom. Talk about the perfect guest for today's podcast, and you can follow him on TikTok. Please join me in welcoming Andrew Seidel to the podcast. Andrew, it's been forever. Thanks for joining me, man. It has been a long time. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, man. I just wish it was under... I wish we were doing a victory lap, you know? That'd um, be nice. So Someday. I've... So first, I just want to start with a couple of questions here. The book. So you the must book, have had... The book is you available must, for pre-order. It drops, it drops in next month. Okay, okay. The book's available for pre-order. So you, you must have been working on this for a while, because nobody writes a book in a month. So... How, how quickly did you put this together, or has this thing been happening longer than most of us realize? This has been happening over the last 10 years. I've been watching it happen. I've been fighting against it over the last 10 years. And after Trump packed the Supreme Court with the help of McConnell and the Federalist Society, it became clear that this was going to be a real big problem. Uh, so I, I have I've spent the last year and a half writing the book. Uh, and then I spent the last six weeks uh, rewriting everything at the end. Um, I predicted what was going to happen, but, uh, you know, I mean, it is the last six weeks have been just absolutely brutal for anybody who cares about the rule of law, the Constitution, the separation of church and state or true religious freedom. So when I when I watch comedians, when I when I'm, you know, traveling or I'm just, go, you know, I'm down in at the comedy store or Laugh Factory or improv or whatever, I, I sit in the back of the room. I now watch comedy differently than I did before I did stand up for a living, right? I see That's it differently. I see it differently. I still enjoy it, but I hardly ever laugh out loud. I am now dissecting it. I'm going, oh, I know why he did it that gotcha. way because of this. And then I start asking myself, I wonder why he didn't say this. And then three minutes later, he answers me while on stage. I go, oh, I get why he did it that way. He didn't. He worded it in a different way, but now I understand and then I'll see them seemingly make something happen as crowd work, but I recognize it as being planned written material, but the crowd always reacts the same way. Or you've got three or four different outs. It's like a magician watching another magician. They 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 appreciate the craft, but they see the sleight of hand. You know what I mean? It's yes. it's that kind of thing. So I I watch it differently. Same with acting, same with movies. I'm so deeply involved. I'm now worried about the shot. I'm I'm like, oh wow, they stayed on that five shot for way longer than I would have. I got so much to learn, you know. I'm guessing that when you were watching these Supreme Court justices do their confirmation hearings, the rest of the world is going, Oh, they're they're gonna leave Roe alone because they said so. <laughs> I'm were you were you watching and seeing right through the bullshit going, uh, that was too vague. Uh, I know what you're doing. I know who's behind all this. I know the Federalist Society is gonna push this. Like, do you I'm I'm assuming you watch those hearings differently than most of us. For sure. Uh, I mean, I, I, and I don't actually take a whole lot of stock from those hearings. I mean, like the if the Everything was decided before that, right? I mean, the the, the table was set. Everything already happened. But I I to, I think 
where I come from, having been a lawyer litigating constitutional law cases before judges for a decade, you know, doing this, I know and have been able to shed one of the myths that most Americans buy into. And that is simply this, that the Supreme Court is not a fair court. It is not an impartial court. It is a court packed with religious extremists. It's a Republican court, right? Like three of the justices on this court were on the team that litigated Bush versus Gore, Barrett, Kavanaugh, and Roberts. And Alito is more conservative than, than all of them. And Thomas and his wife are these crazy conservatives who post, you know, she posts Soros memes on her Facebook and uh, calls Arizona legislators to talk about the stolen election. Um, Gorsuch sits on a seat that was stolen for political reasons. Uh, and, and Barrett, you know, one of those is, is wrong. So this, this court is not fair. And it actually, it doesn't have a legitimacy problem. It's illegitimate. I mean, I, I genuinely think it's a it's a wing of the Republican Party, and it has been making decisions like that. Brett Kavanaugh is the new median justice on the Supreme Court. That's terrifying. Yeah, sit, I mean, sit with that for a minute. Like, seriously, hostile to the First Amendment, devils triangling, beer guzzling, boys will be sexual assaulters, boofing, calendaring Brett Kavanaugh, who worked in the W. Bush White House, is the median member of the court. And, and, and the lower courts are even worse. And so this is the thing that I think everybody really needs to understand, that, that, that our courts are, are truly broken, and that includes the Supreme Court. I, on a few rants, I've, I've said something along the lines of, five of these justices were appointed by presidents who lost the popular vote. Mm-hmm. And that's technically true, although one of the appointees, and I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. I don't remember which one. I think it was Alito, maybe. I could be wrong. One of them was appointed by George W. Bush. He lost the first popular vote, but won the second one, and he appointed that justice after he won the second popular vote, but he had still lost a popular vote previously. So I'm technically correct, but it's a little bit misleading to call that justice, you know, to say it that way. But the the point remains that this America doesn't want this. Like we, as a whole, we didn't, we don't vote this way typically. Yeah. So, I mean, Roberts was actually also appointed in a similar fashion. So um, George W. Bush appointed Roberts in, I think it was September of 2005. Uh, and then Alito shortly after that. So both of those were appointments were in his second term. Um, but you're, I mean, you're, you're by and large right. And and even if you're not, I mean, we have a president who lost the popular vote by three million members, was aided by a hostile foreign power appointing three justices, one of them the most unpopular of all time, uh, in a rushed process without a full vetting, who refused to answer questions because she had the political support to get away with that. Uh, she had no quorum to get her out of committee, and the Republicans violated Senate rules to advance the nomination. Mm-hmm. And then their own rules, nom- by the way, they violated their, their own rules that they had created during the yeah. Obama presidency because he tried to nominate someone within the last ten months of his presidency. That was stolen from us, and I, I, I was so pissed off, Andrew, the other day. Yeah. Someone made some comment about 
uh, well, hey, Republicans are just better at this than we are. And I'm like, no, they aren't. They stole this Supreme Court. They didn't. The only thing Democrats aren't doing on the same level is being willing to be that corrupt. I think both parties have a bit of corruption. I just think the Republicans are willing to do anything. They will sail their grandmother down the river if they can get one little extra vote. And I think Democrats seem to, for some reason, have a little bit more moral standing than that. So what? what how did they get away with that? Because uh, to me, I first noticed this, and I'm sure you, like you said, you were watching for 10 years. It didn't become obvious to me until... Um, who was the guy that died during Obama's um, Scalia. Scalia? When Scalia yeah. died, and Obama tried to uh, appoint Merrick Garland, and Mitch McConnell just went, "No, we're not gonna do it." I was like, "You can do that? They just violate rules. They just block. They just stop it and stonewall for ten months or nine months. The president of the United States doesn't get to appoint." a Supreme Court justice, and they said, if this happens to us, you know, Lindsey Graham is famous for saying, if this happens to us, you can call yeah. us out and say we did it. And they did it, and we called them out, and nobody cared. They just did it anyway. They they rushed through Amy Coney Barrett, but they block Obama. They're just being assholes about it. They're not playing by the rules in the slightest. How did they get away with this? Like, what, 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 what am I missing? They had the power, and they exercised it. And that is exactly what this, the justices are doing now on the Supreme Court. And I mean, there's even some worse figures in there, too, David, like 63 million people had already voted on our next president when Barrett's confirmation vote was up. And two of the senators of the 52 who voted for her appointment were not ever elected. McSally from Arizona and Loeffler from Georgia. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and McSally actually lost her election for that spot in 2018 and then was still appointed and then voted for this justice. I mean, they are working to enshrine minority rule and, and they're doing a damn good job of it. And I think two, two other things I want to point out. One, it wasn't just the Supreme Court. Mitch McConnell held open and held up every Obama judicial nominee for the last two years of Obama's term. And that is one of the reasons that Trump, with the help of McConnell and the Federalist Society, was able to put so many judges on the federal bench. 30% of the federal bench uh, essentially are, are Trump appointees. They're young, they're super conservative, and they're almost, they're almost all white dudes. It was, it was a deliberate takeover of the third branch of government. And the reason they did that is because the, their demographic is shrinking and in a in a democratic in a democratic republic or a system of government that is supposed to be majority rule even with these terrible things like the electoral college and and the senate but I will, we can get into that later if you really want we should abolish them both point point being they're they're targeting the one branch that gives them lifetime appointments mm -hmm. and outsize influence and that that influence does not depend on their shrinking demographic status. And that is precisely why they targeted it. And now that they have captured that powerful third branch, they're using it to gut some of our, you know, most cherished democratic reforms and advances in the last, you know, 50, 60, 100 years. Uh, like I mean, the Voting Rights Act has just been absolutely gutted by this court. Mm -hmm. So it, it, I mean, it really, it was a deliberate, deliberate, intentional takeover.
Yeah, when I in the in the opening of the show when I said all three branches are we have control. What I, what I actually meant was the the three facets of our government as far as the presidency, the Senate, and then the House of Representatives. We got liberals controlling that, but it doesn't matter because the judicial branch is is not just majority conservative. It's like these are conservative activists. I think John Stewart referred to them as as conservative activists, and kind of a light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, these are the the worst of the worst. Like they're. It, it's almost like by any means necessary. It's not that, oh, I just lean a little yeah. conservative. You know, I think Chief Justice Roberts leans a little conservative. He's not, you know, some, he's not Jeannie Thomas. You know what I mean? I, I, I'll, he's not Jeannie Thomas, but he is deeply, deeply conservative. The, the difference between Roberts and the other five extraordinarily conservative members on the court, they, they don't actually disagree on the substance of conservative policies and thought. They, they actually agree on all of that. They differ in how quickly they want to implement that conservative change. And the only reason that Roberts is for slower incremental change mm -hmm. to preserve the legitimacy of that change, to avoid what basically just happened this past term. Roberts understands that if they do too much too quickly, they will be seen as illegitimate and it will jeopardize the very work that they are doing. Okay. And the other justices on the conservative side do not care. They don't, <laughs> they don't give a damn about that. They just want to make it happen. So they, they don't disagree on, on what should happen in these cases. They disagree on, on how quickly things should be done. Um, and, you know, I mean, let, let me just give you one example that I think people tend to forget, you know, the marriage equality case, Obergefell, right? And this is the case that, that upheld equal marriage. That is the only time that Chief Justice John Roberts has read his dissent from the bench. Uh, so, so when, when the court announces their opinions, um, oftentimes you'll have dissenting justices read small portions of, of their, their dissenting opinions from the bench. Sometimes you'll have concurring justices read it. The only time Roberts has ever done that was in his dissenting opinion in the Obergefell decision. You can go listen to it today on the, the Oya's website. And I mean, he is an angry man, uh, in, in that opinion. I mean, and, and Roberts worked in the Reagan white house. You know, we've got, we've got memos from him talking about how, we need to get prayer back in the public schools, right? And then oh lo God. and behold, this term, you have him joining the opinion, which says six to three, that public school officials can abuse their position and power to impose their religion on other people's kids. Okay, so uh, let's so let's let's go. So lay out like these top four major decisions that have just come down. Like which let's let's go through them and then and then address them. Yeah, uh, I mean. There, so, you know, my obviously area of expertise is the separation of church and state, religious freedom, where religion and the law intersect. That's what the whole whole new book is about. So those are the cases that I was focusing on this term. Um, I mean, there, there were some really, really huge cases uh, that, that, that didn't touch on, on this stuff, right? The court gutted what little was left of gun regulation. It essentially overturned Miranda. Um, it, it, it <laughs> prevented the EPA from figuring out how we can fight climate change. 
But the, the big ones that I worked on um, were, were the Christian flag case, um, the the case about funding religious indoctrination in Maine, uh, the, the case that I just mentioned about the coach who was imposing his prayers on other people's kids. And then, of course, the Dobbs decision, which is which just robbed, uh, you know, Americans of their bodily autonomy. Um, and so real quick, I'll run through those. So the shirtlift decision uh, was basically there's three massive flagpoles outside Boston City Hall. Uh, there's the U.S. flagpole. Uh, the Massachusetts flag, and then and then usually a Boston flag. And occasionally the city would take down its own flag, the Boston city flag, and it would fly a flag um, submitted by a private entity when and only when the city embraced the messages of those flags. So for instance, the city celebrates Pride Month, so it would put up the Pride flag during June. And it insisted throughout that this was its own speech that it was doing. Uh, there's an organization called Camp Constitution, which is a Christian nationalist organization. I mean, quite literally, it is dedicated to indoctrinating, quote, the next generation with the knowledge of how America was founded as a Christian nation. Um, for those listeners who may be new to that, America was not founded as a Christian nation. Just There's, please Google Treaty of Tripoli. Please Google <laughs> Or, or don't read my first book, The Founding Myth, which I think does a, you know, a pretty marvelous job of debunking that nonsense. Um and so Camp Constitution, this, this Christian nationalist organization comes in and said, we want you to fly the Christian flag on that city flagpole. You know, I mean, they're, they're basically trying to mark their territory, right? And the city said, no, we're not going to do that. And so Liberty Council, uh, which is a crusader group that, um, you know, they represented uh, Kim Davis, that the bigoted Kentucky clerk that wanted to deny. Um, the same-sex marriage uh, certificate, yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, they did some of the COVID cases for churches, things like that. And and the court said um, that Boston's flag raising program was not government speech and that refusing to allow that flag uh, to allow that group to fly their flag violated the group's free speech clause of the First Amendment. So that was one of the cases that I was watching really closely. So, I mean, we're essentially forcing the government to fly a Christian flag. And I, I mean, to me, in the wake of January 6th, that is particularly haunting. I mean, Christian, I, I wrote a report um, or a couple sections of a report and I spearheaded this report um, with some other experts um, cataloging the role that Christian nationalism played in the January 6th insurrection. And one of the things we noticed when we were looking at all these photos and videos was the, 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 pre, the omnipresence of the Christian flag that day, including one of the insurrectionists took it onto the floor of the Senate and paraded around with that Christian flag on the floor of the Senate. So, yeah, I mean, and, to me, and, it and really they did, And then they did that prayer, you know, in the, exactly. the Senate floor. Yeah, but the, the, the QAnon shaman. And by the way, all that is just pure Christian nationalism. So that, that's one of the cases. That's Shirtliff versus City of Boston. Wait, the so, let, so case, let me ask you about that one real ahead. quick. Yeah. So, so that yeah. one... Um, Basically, the Supreme Court said you have to fly the flag because, like, the Liberty Council sued and won, not really sued, but like brought the case to the Supreme Court, and the the Supreme yep. Court agreed with Liberty Council. Yep, yep. Uh, they said, yeah, this is the, they have a free speech right to fly it. Basically, what they said was that flagpole you the you the city of Boston have created this forum, um, and if you decide to allow any private entity to fly a flag, even if you're adopting it as your own speech, then you have to allow every private entity that comes well, to fly it. Well, okay, so that. this is this is one of those few occasions where I say this sounds like a job for the satanic temple. 
and the satanic temple is already on it. So, Good. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, the, the city could have stopped this case by by closing that that down altogether. Yeah. To me, um, the the free speech aspect of this case is is less um, of the issue um, than. Uh, it is another marker of the rising tide of Christian nationalism that we're seeing both in the law and in the country as a whole. So this is one of the reasons that I was alarmed by the case. Um, so the second case is this was kind of like uh, this is called Carson versus Macon and it's out of Maine. And this was a case that really flew under the radar that most people don't realize, but is going to have a really, really big impact down the road. Um, and, and it 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 may it may be uh, bigger than the the other uh, than the football coach case even in the long run. So Maine's constitution guarantees a public education, and I don't know if you know this, David, but Maine is kind of a rural state, and there are some school districts there that that are too rural to to support a public high school, meaning there are not enough students where we should construct a literal building for you to go to school. So instead, the state created this tuition assistance program for families in those rural districts so that they could send their kids to an other schools, public or private. And it taxed citizens to pay for this. And it was meant to be public education. And because it's meant to be public education, the state of Maine said that the education paid for by those funds had mm-hmm. to be non-sectarian. Okay. So, I mean, this makes sense. This is a fairly basic rule. Um, and theoretically, the, the state said, hey, theoretically, even a religious school could provide a non-sectarian education. We'd be okay with that. It didn't happen, but, you know, it'd be fine. And the fascinating thing for me is that this, this non-sectarian requirement, and this, this is a really good illustration of where this court is. That had been challenged in identical cases at least four times over the last two and a half decades. And every single time it was rejected. And the Supreme Court even refused to hear the case two of those times. But not this time. This time. Uh, okay, hold on, hold on. It had been packed. Yeah, okay, yeah. So just to clear it up, that when you say non-sectarian, you mean no specific religious group has given treatment or a like preferential treatment or that it's, it's taught in any certain way that is to any one religion. Right. Yeah. That you're and, and that that's, not inculcating a particular religion. Right. Which, which means when they, does that mean no one sector of Christianity or are they just using the word religion to mean Christianity as a whole, so like, no, you can worship my God any way you want to. You can be Baptist, you can be Catholic, but not Muslim. Like, wh- wh- what? I-, I guess sectarian is so vague. I just don't know what they really mean by that, and I, that, that may Basically, be why the Supreme Court stayed away from it for so long. Well, so the the state actually had policies that that lay out exactly what it meant, um, and it, they defined non sectarian school under. Their their state education policies. Okay, basically, it had to provide a secular education to students, the same kind of education that you would get in a public school. So you can't give money to a Christian school to teach creationism to kids. Okay, because it's it's public money, and the whole point of this public money is that they get a public education. Got and it. by the way, this protects the religious freedom of every single taxpayer in the state. 
Because, you know, I mean, one of the original purposes of establishing religious freedom, according to the founders, was to prevent people from being taxed and then having the government turn around and give that money to a church or a religion or a religious school that was not their own. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the, the, I mean, the, the, it, we're talking about the coercive taxing power of the government, the government reaching into your pocket, taking your money and then turning around and giving it to a church or a religious school. I mean, that's government enforced tithing. Right. Okay? Right. And, right, and right. So, so Thomas Jefferson said, you know, that he the, the little he wrote that that was, quote, sinful and tyrannical. OK, so this is one one of the original reasons we have a separation of state and church is to prevent exactly that from happening. So Maine's rules are essentially putting into place that that founding principle. And the court said this nonsectarian requirement for tuition assistance payments violates the free exercise clause of the Christian parents who sued. Oh my God, that is infuriating. Yes. You you not imposing your religion on other people is not infringing on your rights to believe. Yeah, you, I mean, you're preaching to the choir, my friend. I know, yes. sorry. I just... Yes, yes. <laughs> well, how no, how can they... you're 100% right. How can they possibly say that? I mean, I... I they can't believe what they're saying. They, they, they've got to know that, that legally that that's bullshit. What they are doing is they're focusing on the religious freedom of the Christian parents and ignoring the religious freedom of everyone else. And if you do that, if you just zoom in on those Christian parents to the exclusion of everybody else's rights, which is what the court's doing, then you can see how they get to this, this ending. But in doing that, that, that is the antithesis of religious freedom and the antithesis of the separation of church and state. We, for the church, separation of church and state ensures freedom without favor and equality without exception. It levels the playing field. And this court does not think that religious freedom is an equal right possessed by every citizen. It views it as a privilege that it extends to conservative Christians. So, I mean, it's bad. It's, it's a really bad that decision. Is, you're even, right. That is, if you look at what these schools are teaching. I didn't know about this one, and you're right. I, I'd heard about the coach thing. But I didn't yeah. know about this one. I didn't, and that's that's terrible because that now sets a very dangerous precedent. You know, we we used to have like you've been on my show for years, and and even back when I was doing dogma debate, and I focused more on this stuff. You were you were coming on quite often, and I always felt comfort in the fact that it was it had already been decided. You know, we've settled this. Uh, Listeners would call in and say, my son was forced to be a part of a prayer at a flagpole, or my son was forced to, you know, the, the, the teacher led them in prayer, and I would text you and be like, there's a case, bro, and you're like, have them, send them to this website, send them to this form, we'll fill it out and take a look at it, and I knew I had a place to send people, and it seems yeah. that things that I just knew were, I don't want to say codified, but like I, I just thought it was real. I thought it was a, a, a permanent fixture of our judicial system. Is is it's now crumbling? That we don't have that safety anymore. the The fact that that coach is a leader or a person of authority that used to prevent them from 
mm-hmm. even doing flagpole, you know, pr- preach uh, prayers before school started. They would try to go, oh, it's before school. But then the courts showed that, you know what, you're still a person of authority. They still have to listen to you. They still feel social pressure. You can't do that. And they lost, 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 lost. And so I thought this was done. I thought this was over with. I thought everybody knew that that for like trying to impose your religious views onto someone else wasn't what the founders meant when they said religious freedom. It was your <laughs> own personal religious freedom. And so I thought yep. we had settled all this. We had. And then it's even like the even like the, I don't know if you saw this one, but the filming police officers, this this filming of cops thing. You've always been able to film in public. It's always whatever's available to the public view, you're you're allowed to film. And now there's a thing in Arizona that they're trying to get done. I don't know if it passed or failed or what's going on in the last week or so, but I saw it was it was coming through that you're what is it like if you're eight feet away or more, you can't film a cop or something. And it's just like that. That's how we that's how we caught the whole George Floyd thing. And so rather yeah, I, than being like, wow, I, we need to put more requirements on police officers and maybe we need to make it longer than four to six months to be a cop, wh- why don't we improve the training and improve? No, 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 no. Let's just stop them from being caught on video. And it just seems like the bad people are, are wanting to just make it harder for evidence to come to light and harder for things to to stay as they were and even get better. And I just, it's a scary time to, it's a scary time to be in America. It just, it really is. Things that I thought were permanent fixtures of our rights are just crumbling. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I, I, I agree, except to the extent that we're talking about crumbling as passive. They're, they're, they're being attacked. They're being deliberately rolled back. I mean, this is an all-out assault on those rights that you are talking about, That's right? A like, good point. Like That's the a good right point. to reproductive freedom isn't crumbling. It was it was abolished by the Supreme Court. See, and, I told you, know, you I told you, Andrew, worse. I told you, Andrew, if we disagree on something, I'm probably wrong. <laughs> and that that's a perfect example. You're spot on. It is, it is an assault. You're right. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, for I and 
for too long, Americans have taken the separation of church and state for granted. Yeah. We've, we've taken it as a given. We've enjoyed the protections. And, and to a large extent, we've, we've been the victims of our own success. We have not seen what it is like to live in a, in a society where the machinery of the state can be used to impose a particular brand of a particular religion on you. And we're about to get a real world lesson in what that looks like because of what happened at the Supreme Court this term. And I just want to touch, if people still don't understand this school case, why it's a problem, I just want to, to touch on a few other facts that I think are really worth noting. There were only two Christian schools at issue in this case. And first of all, neither of them agreed to even accept the money if, if the parents won the case, which tells you, uh, if, if you know anything about the law, that the Supreme Court is very eager to take these cases. But but one of the, the schools, the Temple Academy, included in its employment agreement a statement that, quote, God recognizes homosexuals and other deviants as perverted. Oh, my it God. It wouldn't admit LGBTQ students or even students with LGBTQ parents. It had a pretty, quote, pretty hard-lined policy of admitting only Christians. Um, that The other school, Banger Christian, was just as bad. Being, quote, openly gay was, quote, immoral activity. And those students were forced into counseling. And if they remain, quote, entrenched in this is who I am, I think that this is right and good, they're expelled. Transgender and non-binary students who refuse to stop presenting as the gender other than what's on their birth certificates. Again, you get counseling. If you don't go with the counseling, you get expelled. And the, the school likens that to uh, a student who insisted on drinking every weekend. Uh, that was the principle. Andrew, and, and this I mean, is despite, Andrew, this is despite the American Psychological Association releasing yep. many years ago, stop doing gay reparative therapy. It does more harm than good. We no longer accept it. So the science is going one direction and the politics are going another. The, the policies are not following reality. And now these schools, thanks to the Supreme Court, are getting public funding? Yep, that, that's the way it looks. There's going to be an attempt to, um, and we should try to do this absolutely, to tie those funds to non-discrimination provisions, right? To say, you don't get to take this money unless you abide by the non-discrimination laws that the state and federal government have set up. Those schools will challenge that those provisions on religious freedom grounds. And given that the court decided this case already, I think we know which way the court's going to go. But it, it, I mean, you don't even have, here's, an, here's another example. Banger Christian also in their ninth grade classes, um, the students are required to learn to quote, refute the teachings of the Islamic religion with the truth of God's word. And, and now in the name of religious freedom, every main taxpayer, including Muslims, are paying for those lessons. That's where we are right now. I mean, this this court is gaslighting us. Mm. Oh, man, I'm so pissed. <laughs> so you didn't even know you were going to be angry about this. I didn't too. know. <laughs> I knew I would be informed. I didn't know the information was going to be infuriating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, this is, this is the bedrock of religious freedom and church-state separation in this country, right? We, the reason we have a separation, one of the reasons we have a separation of church and state is because that there is no such thing as the freedom of religion without a government that's free from religion. We guarantee true religious freedom by keeping state and church separate. By, and, and this is exactly what is, not, again, not crumbling, but being attacked and obliterated and deliberately demolished in that case. 
So I want you to get through the rest of the cases, including yeah. Dobbs, because the, the Roe v. Wade thing has been massive, of course. But, yeah. but before you do, I don't want to forget this point. It, it, it seems like we are winning in the court of public opinion. Like the majority of people, the majority of Americans know that this is bad. But we're losing in the Supreme Court. What is this a sign that it's going to get a little bit worse and then it's going to get much better? Because kind of like Donald Trump and the awfulness that was that turned out, you know, the record number voting for Biden, not that he's great, but those were clearly votes against Trump, not for Biden. But it's this idea that this response is going to be a tidal wave of blue in 2024, or perhaps maybe even the midterms. Is this a sign that that it's going to shift the other way soon? Is this a good thing? Is this normal that you're winning in the court of public opinion, that the majority of people think it's wrong, but the Supreme Court is doing minority rule? Like what, how, how do we get here and what does it mean that this is how the, the scales are tipping? Yeah, it's a really, it's a good question. And I think that, I think, I think those things are intimately tied together. So, I mean, right now, Christian nationalists, religious extremists and, and their lawmaker and judicial allies, they're, they're trying to force everyone to live by their beliefs and to use their religion as a license to harm others, right? So they are, they're threatening our freedom to live as ourselves and believe as we choose. And, and that is, that actually widens the inequality in our communities and country. And, and honestly, this is, the, this movement that we are seeing, this white Christian nationalist movement is about retaining and reclaiming that power that they used to have, right? Cons that conservative, white, Christian, heteronormative men used to have. And they have been scared. They're, they're fearful of the changing demographics in America. And they are reacting in a way to maintain their traditional white Christian power structure. And, this, I mean, and I get into this in the new book, in, in American Crusade. I, I, I get into this in the first few chapters. This is actually, there's, this is called dominant group status threat in academic circles. And there are some markers that you can see, right? In 2014, white Christians were not the majority in America for the first time. Uh, by 2046, it's predicted somewhere in there, white people are no longer going to be the majority of America. Studies are showing uh, consistently that, that that nearly a third of Americans identify as non-religious and that that, that his number is growing and it's doubled in the last 15 years. We we had our first black president. Uh, we've seen the increasing power of women, both in the workplace and in politics. Uh, we have a black female vice president for the first time, right? All of this scares them. All of this scares them. And they are fighting to retain their status and their power and their privilege. And the problem with that they that they have that I don't know that they realize is that every time they win, it swells our ranks, right? So, so white Christian nationalists, their whole goal, they, they're in the entire crusade that they are working on, is they are trying to privilege the chosen few. And every victory that they notch, by definition, alienates more people. It wakes more people up to the danger and it drives more people into the arms of you know, supporting state church separation and into the arms of, of my new organization, Americans United. So their power hungry aggression is actually growing our movement. Um, 
But the problem is, is that we have to grow big enough to be able to defeat them and the the, the power structures that have helped enshrine minority rule. And I know everybody is out there right now hoping that I'm about to give you the silver bullet, the quick fix, the, the easy way out of this. And I, I'm here to tell you, unfortunately, that there is not one. That, that right now we need to build that power and we need to change minds. Uh, that that is where we are and, and that we are in for a very long fight. So I, I do have some thoughts and some questions about how we can fix this and yeah. what we can do and how realistic it is as some of these solutions. But before I get into that, I guess I want you to go ahead and get into Dobbs, which is the the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Is that the last one you were going to mention, or did you have another? I, yeah, I was going to do that. I was going to do the the Kennedy case, which is the Bremerton coach case. Uh, um, okay, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Then, yeah, go ahead. So that that one's that one's pretty easy. Um, though I will say, a lot of people are very confused about what actually happened in that case because um, the the majority, the the six conservative justices. Um, really twisted and tortured the facts of that case. You have a coach at a public high school who's using his power and position over other people's children to pressure them into praying in his preferred manner. And we know for a fact that students felt pressured to join this coach's prayers. It's in the record of the case. There was an amicus brief submitted that that went over it. There was psychologists submitted amicus briefs uh, explaining how the coach in general has this really uh, important position of authority over these coaches, uh, over these players. Um, so you have a coach using that power and position to drive kids into his religious rituals. And we, we all know, of course, right, if this were a not, not a Christian coach, we know which way this case would have gone. Um, the one of the lower court judges, David, actually warned the Supreme Court um, in his opinion. He said, look, the other side is and he wrote this in opinion. He said that they are uh, spinning a, quote, deceitful narrative. And they're trying to argue that the coach is praying on his own and that these are just private prayers. And he said yeah. that it was a deceitful narrative. And, and what the Supreme Court did in response was to adopt that narrative as the truth. Um, so the, the ultra conservative majority said that these prayers were a, which were on the 50 yard line, which other coaches and other students joined were a quote, personal religious observance. So Kennedy, Kennedy was protected from government. So let's just state the obvious for a second, because okay. I know you know this, and I would say the majority of listeners know this, but because I know that I will get some emails, I will get some contacts from Christian listeners and maybe even yep. Christian Patreon supporters, because there are some on there that engage in this discussion and love to be engaged in this. And and I know some of them right now are thinking, hey, if a coach wants to pray and he says, hey, if nobody wants, to, if you don't want to be over here, you don't have to come. And then everybody laughs because the majority of people go to church, the majority of people are Christian. And then he walks to the 50-yard line think about the kids who don't want to be a part of it, how they're going to look turning their back on their football team and walking away during a prayer. Football teams are all about a team sport. If one person screws up, everybody runs laps. If one person walks to the ball instead of running, you're all doing 35, 40 pushups. We keep each other in line. We keep each other in check. We support each other. We fail together. We win together. This is a team sport. So to then say, I'm going to go give praise to my higher power 
and you don't have to come if you don't want to, and then walk to the middle of the field to make a spectacle of it? Let's forget Matthew, uh, was it 5, 6 through 5, about public prayer. But you're going to do that, and you think a kid who is either Jewish or Muslim or even Christian but doesn't really care about prayer or atheist or Hindu, they're just going to they're just going to walk away and be treated exactly the same as they were before that. That is an immense amount of pressure, not only in high school, but it puts a target on you for bullying, puts a target on you to be benched or be treated differently by the coach. That is an immense amount of pressure, and it's incredibly inappropriate. And what if that coach is saying things in prayer, and you're a Christian, and you disagree with his method of prayer? You are shooting yourself in the foot by pushing for things like this. Yeah. And, you know, Americans United argued that case at the Supreme Court. And we had we held a rally in front of the court on the day of the oral argument. And a lot of local Bremerton clergy actually showed up and they all showed up supporting our side, supporting the school district, not the coach for the same reasons that you articulated, because uh, and so, several of the Christian clergy even cited to Matthew six five through six, saying, first of all, this is not how our our Bible says we ought to pray. Uh, and and then you have others who are saying saying exactly what you're saying. You know, look at the students. You are pressuring them. This, this nothing about this is voluntary. Um, and and we again, I can't stress this enough. That was in the record. I mean, it, it was very very clear. You know, I mean, we know um, that you know one parent said his son quote felt compelled to participate because even though he was an atheist, he felt he wouldn't get much as much playing time as if, if he didn't participate. And right, it's not just football. This is this kid's future. Playing time, letters of recommendation, you know, scouting. I mean, these coaches control these kids' futures. Um, so it, it really is. And and one, one other thing to your point that is, I think is crucial, the coach, the school district worked with the coach or tried to work with the coach to let him pray in a way that didn't violate the religious freedom of students. They were like, we want, we want to help you do this if it's important to you. We, what we want to avoid is you violating the religious freedom of everybody else. Yeah, go to That's your, go to doing. your car. Yeah, he, go he, home. He, he, <laughs> and the, and the code that the school district tried repeatedly to figure out a, an accommodation that would work both for the coach and that would not violate the religious freedom of students. And at every turn, uh, once First Liberty Institute got involved, the coach rejected those. He said, nope. I get to use my power and position over other people's children well, and I can pressure them into praying in my all right. way. I mean, look, who at the satanic temple wants to learn how to be a football coach? Because <laughs> see, <laughs> but see, here's here's where we here's where we get into the problem, right? Because that argument is absolutely right, David, based on an understanding of religious freedom that applies equally. And that is not what we have with this court, right? In this case, just like in the main case, the court ignored the religious freedom of everybody. Every single student on that team was ignored. Every single parent of a student on that team, everybody's religious freedom was ignored except for the Christian coach. That was the only religious freedom claim that mattered. Okay, so nobody else mattered. So to clear this up, because again, for the Christian listener, just if we could rapid fire yes or no for just a second. Yeah. Is it is it 
is it legal, I guess legal would be the right word, for a teacher to pray at school by themselves? Yes, that's, all, that's always been legal. Right. So in a room by themselves, completely alone, they're allowed to pray. Yes. If there are students in the classroom, are they allowed to pray out loud? Probably not. Because then you're using the, your power and position um, to to expose a captive audience of other people's children to your prayers. Okay, so you can pray alone, but you can't pray in front of others because then it's in it's sort of insinuating that other people should should involve themselves in your faith somehow. Yeah, just just think about it like this: just don't use that power and position that comes from being an agent of the state, right? From being a public school employee, don't use that power and position in a way. It's going to expose other people's kids to your religion. Okay, right? like so that, that's that's the goal. So after the game, if the coach walked away from everybody else and went way past one of the goal lines and went way past the, you know, almost to the to the locker room and stood there and said a prayer quietly to himself, no issues. It's yeah, the fact, fact that he made a public spectacle of it and went to the middle of the field with an announcement. That's why it's an issue. And yeah, exactly. And in fact, there was a, there was a Buddhist coach who apparently prayed at, at these games too, but he just lowered his head on the sideline and did it, and nobody knew he was doing it. <laughs> which, right? which, even from the from a biblical perspective, from a general Christian perspective, that's the way it's supposed to be. Your conversation should be between you and God. And and Matthew six five for those who don't know it's essentially talking about how the um, that you're that the hypocrites are the ones who who pray in who pray in public and those who do that have already received their reward meaning the attention they're getting attention for praying in public this is why when people offer bullshit prayers on Facebook or whatever or they get on TikTok and they do this I'm sure you see as you're scrolling through sometimes there's like these preachers praying and their hands are up and like, Lord Jesus, please give us the power. And, and I know somebody out there watching right now is feeling a little down. You're feeling sick. You're fe I'm like, I'll always just comment Matthew six, five through six. Like you're just being the street corner preacher for people to go. You're so amazing. I love you. You're so good. It's self aggrandizing bullshit. That is what Matthew six, five through six is talking about. It's like to go into your closets and pray in quiet. And what is done in private will be rewarded in private. It's not going to be this big public spectacle. So it's so weird to me that both secularists and including atheists and, and, people of other religions, uh, and yet, and Christians seem to be on the same page about all of this. But then there's this more extreme activist branch of Christianity yeah. who thinks that they have to win by forcing it on other people. And that's when you're becoming the Christian Taliban. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's me. That is Christian nationalism. And a lot of the groups that are supporting this are Christian nationalism. And just one quick note on Matthew six, it's from the Sermon on the Mount, y'all. It's not like it's some esoteric, like non-recognized Bible passage. Like Jesus says it in his Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a big deal. All right. So the last one? The last one is Dobbs. So the last one is the decision that robbed, uh, abolished reproductive freedom. And 
Um, Dobbs, the reason you probably never heard about the flag case is because the Dobbs opinion was leaked the same day. Mm. So in the Dobbs case, the bill at issue was out of Mississippi. It was HB 1510. And that banned abortions after 15 weeks with exceptions. Um, So, I mean, that, that was definitely a violation of the rules established in Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. It was not a direct assault on those trying to get them to overturn it, um, though it would become that. And, and the reason it was not a direct assault is because, and this goes back to the very beginning of our conversation, that case was put on the Supreme Court docket 16 days before Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. And the court postponed any decision on whether or not to take the case more than 20 times. Whoa. And again, Mississippi okay, hold originally on. structured hold on. the case. So this was, we, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Ahead. So, no, so no, this is, see, see, this is the insight that I knew that I, that you would bring. So this is, this, this, to me, this shows deliberate, like this is deliberate. They were 100%. intentionally, they were holding it off almost. They were uh, waiting to see what would happen. And Mississippi, again, this is crucial too, because Mississippi originally structured the case just to weaken the lines that the Roe and Casey decisions put into place. But after Barrett was, you know, put on put onto the court in like this shotgun wedding ceremony, Mississippi argued for overturning Roe versus Wade and Casey altogether. So they changed their argument at the last minute because the personnel on the Supreme Court changed. And that may seem obvious to a lot of people listening, but that that sent shockwaves through a lot of the legal community. And it came up in oral argument. And and this is where uh, our discussion of John Roberts and his approach being slower and more methodical in an effort to preserve the court's legitimacy really came in. And this is why he differed. I think he would absolutely, he absolutely agrees with the outcome in this case. He just didn't want to do it so quickly and he didn't want to do it in this case. I I was going to say, but he didn't vote against it. He abstained, didn't he? uh, He voted, he voted to allow the, the, the 15 week abortion ban to take place, but he didn't vote to overturn Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood. Right. But how, so I saw the, the, but the decision was, uh, five, three to one. And I've never seen that before. What does that mean? You, you have, um, it's just, it, it's so the, you, it, it's happened in other cases too. Um, that it's a split where Roberts is not agreeing with the results that the majority did. Um, and there have been plenty of other cases where the court fractures along more obvious lines. Even some of the cases that we call, five, four or six, three are really more like a five, two, two. It's just most of the time it doesn't matter. Um, but because this case is such a big deal, people are really drilling down. So let's just, let's just tell me if I'm wrong, Okay. but if he's one, that now makes it four and four. If, if Obama had been able to put Merrick Garland on the court, Roe v. Wade would not have been overturned. Correct. Or so, if, or if, if Amy Barrett had not been shoved onto the court at the last minute. right, and and forced through I, at the last second, yeah, yeah, and I, I in this case again, I think Roberts would have done this. I think this case. So what he did was he voted to uphold this abortion ban, even though it, even though it, the abortion ban very clearly would not stand under the Roe and Planned Parenthood versus Casey rubric that's been set up, the viability line, right? So he was rolling back reproductive freedom significantly in this case. And what Roberts would have preferred to do was do that in increments, 
right? Like, so he would have preferred to do, we're, we're going to roll it back in this case. I see. And then we're going to roll it back again in, next year. And then in three years, we're going to say, yeah, you know what? Um, fetal personhood. And, and then it would have been done. That's what he would have done. He so, would have gotten there eventually. I, I'm quite sure of that. So, um, so what, what, what was the actual uh, case being brought? Like, what was the argument made uh, with That Dobbs? there is no right to abortion in the U.S. Constitution. And, and that is what the court held. They overruled Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. They said that there is no right to abortion in the U.S. Constitution and the states are free to do as they please. Now, the thing that, I, that I, I've been screaming about, and I've been screaming about this since Trump started nominating ju- justices to the Supreme Court, is that the end of Roe is awful, but the end of Roe is just the beginning. Okay, And Thomas laid this out in his concurring opinion. He said, in future cases, we should reconsider the, all of this court's substantive due process precedents, including Griswold, Lawrence, and Obergefell. Griswold is birth control, Lawrence is same-sex intimacy, and Obergefell is marriage equality. Same-sex intimacy, you're referring to sodomy laws. Yeah, that's what that, so that's the Lawrence versus Texas case, yeah, mm. which overturned this this awful opinion called Bowers versus Hardwick, which um, really brought some uh, Judeo-Christian values into to the opinion, actually. Um, and, and, no, I mean, I think the dissent, um, the three dissenting justices, Kagan, Sotomayor, and Breyer, really, they really recognized this. And they called the court out and they said, either the mass of the majority's opinion is hypocrisy or additional constitutional rights are under threat. It is one or the other. So the court is not done. Wow. Okay. Um, if there is a tiny little light at the end of this tunnel, I want to get to it. Uh, so, so let me ask some general questions out of mostly ignorance and hope. Um, I know that there are nine Supreme Court justices because there were nine circuit courts. There are now 13 circuit courts. Can we pack the court using that as an excuse and get to 13 so that, you know, uh, Republicans won't have the ability to add more on top of 13 should they gain power uh, because there are not more than 13 circuit courts? Is that a possibility to pack the court while we have the power? For sure. But let's talk about our language a little bit, too, because the court is already packed. Right. That is what Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell did with the help of the Federalist Society. The court is already packed, right? I mean, we've, we've talked about how it's illegitimate. We've talked about how they stole seats. We've talked about uh, how, <laughs> nominated by presidents who can't win the popular vote, right? This is everything that we, we hit in the first 30 minutes of the podcast. The court is already packed. It is already a wing of the Republican Party. What are we going to do about it is the question that you're asking. How do we fix a court that is drunk with power and has gone rogue uh, and is you know even more extreme than many many members of the Republican Party even. So that that's the question, right? We're not talking about packing the court. We're talking about fixing the court, fixing a court that has already been packed. And yes, the best and clearest solution in my mind is to add justices to the court. Uh, I, I, I this is something I was I was I was arguing. Day one, Biden administration, abolish the filibuster. Day two, expand the Supreme Court, get those justices in place. And day three, pass serious Democratic, small d, Democratic reform 
um, to extend the franchise and protect the franchise for everyone. That yeah. that is what really needed to happen. Yeah, because these states, the these states, because these states are absolutely assaulting voting rights right now, and there needs to absolutely. be federal protection. So, so okay. So as I is, guess well, one. Well, hang on. Let me let me just inject one. As is this court. Right. Like it's no, <laughs> I mean, this is, this is to me, is just all, again, it goes to how, how deliberate all of this, this is too, right? It, it's no coincidence that this court gutted the Voting Rights Act uh, in a couple of different cases, uh, Shelby County in 2013 and the Burnovich case in 2020. It's no no coincidence that the court upheld partisan gerrymandering in, in the Rucha case in 2019 before it overturned Roe versus Wade. So so what do you right? mean gutted the Voting Rights Act? What exactly did they do? I, it's a it's a little long to get into, but essentially the Voting Rights Act was one of it was one of these landmark civil rights laws that that really protected and extended the franchise, um, including forcing states with the history of, um, you know, essentially racism and, and, and blocking minorities from the polls to go through pre-clearance. So it wouldn't let them pass um, any restriction on voting without clearing it through the Department of Justice to see whether it was intended to, you know, disenfranchise minority voters. Um, so things like like voter ID laws, which which do nothing to curb the non-existent uh, voter fraud, but do a good job of keeping people away from the polls, things gotcha. like that. Um, so it, it got it a lot. It essentially allowed the Republican Party um, to both gerrymander par from a partisan standpoint and to um, disenfranchise uh, Democratic voters. And it's, it's no coincidence that those things were done before the court got to the decisions that we saw this okay. term, okay. Uh, because now correcting that is infinitely harder because of the anti-democratic uh, decisions that it has already made. Again, okay, so, so, so two questions on packing slash fixing yes. the court. And by the way, I love the way you worded that. The two questions are, how does that happen? Yeah. What needs to happen? And why hasn't it happened already? Why, what are they waiting on? Congress can do it. That's all it takes. It's just a simple, simple. The, the number of justices is not set in our constitution. It does not require a constitutional amendment. Uh, all it requires is Congress to pass a law saying uh, the number of Supreme Court justices uh, shall now be 13 or 15 or 19, which I would be for. Add 10. Let's add 10. So then... So then the obvious response is going to be, what's stopping Republicans from taking over and adding 30? They already did that, <laughs> right? The Republicans already packed the court, right? They, they already did that. They, this is, they took over and they put three of their people on the court, two of them who were definitely illegitimate. Like, I mean, they've already done that. And honestly, if we're, if we're into a tit for tat situation, I kind of don't care. Like, you know, throughout my entire legal career, People have been litigating cases at the Supreme Court on these critical rights issues, right? Like the, these issues that involve our, our deepest rights, freedom of thought, freedom of belief, freedom of religion, uh, reproductive freedom, all of these issues that, that we've talked about. And they were talking to one person. You know, first it was, it was Sandra Day O'Connor, uh, then it was Anthony Kennedy, and then it was John Roberts. And now, you know, it, it's, it, there's, no, there's no point. There's no real swing justice on the court. Dilute their power. Who cares? 
right? Like if I'm not able to predict the outcome of a case because there are 30 justices on the Supreme Court, that's fine with me. Like, and I, I don't care if it's unwieldy up there. They can figure out a way to make it a little less so by being a little less political. Fine. And you know what else? I think anytime you take a poll, the more people you get in a room, the more likely it is to be more liberal. Even if it's 5149, you know what I mean? That's interesting. I, I have not heard that. Uh, well, yeah, whenever, I mean, well, think about it. Think, think about voting in general. When there's low yeah. turnout, Republicans win. When there's high turnout, Democrats win. People tend to vote liberally when more people are voting. I guess the only danger would be if they did come back and add. And that's why I, I was advocating for 13, because it ties it to the number of circuit courts. Yes. And it makes it a little more difficult for them to come in and add an arbitrary number. If if Congress comes in right now and says, nope, let's just add 10, that's an arbitrary number that they can just go, well, now the Republicans can go, oh, well, let's add 15. And then they're 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 you know nominating people on the court that are just you're talking right-wing extremists. You're talking Matt Gates. You're talking Ted Cruz. These people just get packed onto the Supreme Court, and then it's insane. So, I mean, uh, on, on, honestly, that is where that, 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 I mean that's the kind of caliber of people that we are talking about. I know. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, and and I don't think people realize the infrastructure that the conservative legal movement put into place to ensure that these folks got onto the court. I mean, I I, I vetted a lot of these Supreme Court justices, all the Supreme Court justices under Trump. I was on the, the document reviews te review teams for these, even for Amy Coney Barrett, which was this this super fast thing. And you know, we know some of the things that she said and did, and they are they are deeply scary. And she's been gunning for this position. Her whole career. I mean, this is what the conservative legal movement does. They set up these these pipelines to funnel these people into positions, and they know from from day one of law school, hey, if you, you can't say certain and do certain things publicly, you have to be a little bit more circumspect. You have to you have to be conservative enough that we know you are a true blue believer. And one of one of um, uh, Leonard Leo's. Uh, goals over the last two decades has been to essentially enforce ideological purity among uh, the, these these people who would eventually become nominees. Um, it's, I mean, that, that to me is where we are. You, you raise a good point, and it's a good justification for um, sticking with 13 justices because we have 13 circuit courts, and historically the number of justices was tied to the circuits. There's a really fun bit of history because the Supreme Court justices actually used to ride around on horses on the circuit, and they would decide cases in different towns, mm. which is not the way it works right now. Um, <laughs> so you actually needed one for each circuit. Um, but but also, again, I don't think we ought to be disguising what we are trying to do here as it's time to uh, um, grow the Supreme Court along with the number of circuits. We are trying to rebalance a court that was deliberately stolen and hijacked. So that, why that's what we're trying to do. So why is it is it just that Joe Biden is a 1987 Republican? Is that why he's not doing it? I mean, I I genuinely think a lot of people didn't realize how bad this court was going to be. Um, I, I a lot of people are still stuck in the old way of thinking about the Supreme Court that it is a court of law that it is guided by facts and it applies the law, that it calls balls and strikes, which is how John Roberts put it in his um, 
uh, confirmation hearing. And, and again, that's just not what we have. I wrote at the end of June, at the end of this term, I wrote for Religion Dispatches, I wrote an op-ed, uh, the title of which was, uh, Americans must stop thinking of the United States Supreme Court as a court of law. I mean, that is that is not what we have. I mean, if you look back at the the opinions that we talked about, I mean, especially the main case and the coach case and the Dobbs case, those three opinions venerate and glorify history and tradition. That that, that I mean that that phrase and and that really came through in the cases, and they they venerated that history and tradition over long established legal principles. And that's because these justices want to drag us back to a time when conservative white Christian men ruled, when their rights were the only rights that matter. And, and I mean, really, the, the new guiding principle for this court, you know, if you throw all the legal tests out, and it, 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 this is the guiding principle, Christians win, specifically conservative white Christian men. That's where, that is where we are right now. Would you support term limits? In theory, yeah. Um, so there are a couple problems with term limits. Um, the Constitution specifies that uh, justices get to remain in their seats uh, during good behavior, is the phrase. And that means lifetime appointments. That's where we get lifetime appointments from even though well it also depends on depends on how you identify how you define good because i think yeah (laughs) some arguments can be made right you you can come off when you retire die or are impeached is is how it has been interpreted um and the the problem that i have with term limits is that if we go through and expend the political capital to pass term limits. Nothing binds the justices other than that law. And they are the ones who interpret that law and the constitution. And it would be very easy for them to say, actually the constitution says during good behavior. So the term limits you are trying to impose on this, and there are some really clever uh, proposals actually to try to get around what I'm talking about right now. Um, the, 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 pro- the term limits you are proposing violate the Constitution, and they do not bind us. And I don't know about you, but like if that is hanging out there with this court and those justices, like I 100% think they're going to take that that route. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go through all this. We're going to we're going to try to come up with this fix, and then you're just going to say, yeah, yeah, can't do it. Sorry. I mean, I'm I'm surprised. I'm surprised that they didn't rule with. Donald Trump and overturn the election at this point. I mean, that I, 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 when he first started bringing stuff and saying, we'll take it to the Supreme Court, and he even hinted at that. He's like, oh, my buddies on the Supreme Court will handle it because he appointed so many of them. And then when they were like, we refuse to hear this case or no, we're not going to do this or whatever, I was like, oh, good. They're at least grownups. And then this stuff started happening, and I was like, what happened? Like, how are these the same I don't people? need him. They don't need him. Mm. They have lifetime appointment. Look, Biden is president, and they're still doing all this. That's that's a good. This point. is why this is why they went after the judiciary. This is why they wanted lifetime appointments so they can enshrine minority rule using the federal judiciary. This is why this is a five alarm fire that we have to fix. It requires a fix. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. So, uh, Move On members are going to be joining with the Move On Executive Director at SCOTUS in D.C. to deliver 1.2 million plus signatures to Congresswoman Omar and Congressman Bowman requesting that Justice Thomas be impeached. Mm -hmm. This is not just a bunch of angry people on the internet. This is actually being taken to congressmen. This is actually being, I guess, somewhat presented to the Supreme Court. I don't know how they're going to do this or what's going on, but they're saying he must resign or Congress must immediately investigate and impeach, mostly because of the Jeannie Thomas connection where she was actively working to have the election overturned. Um, so I guess this is kind of a, I don't want to lose sight of it. This is kind of a broad question. So kind of help me stay, uh, like stay on track here. Yeah. The January 6th committee is about to, uh, they're considering subpoenaing Jeannie Thomas, the Supreme Court Justice Thomas's wife. Um, the Justice Department has hinted at investigating Jeannie Thomas. And... Now, we also have this idea that the three justices, Gorsuch, uh, Barrett, and uh, Kavanaugh, were all asked about Roe v. Wade specifically. They gave vague terms. Mostly, Barrett was mostly vague. I don't think she said yes or no. The other two basically confirmed that it is, in fact, solidified as precedent and basically insinuated that they wouldn't be touching it. And if you go back and look at Thomas's original um, hearing 3,000 years ago, he said the same thing, that that's a part of law and it will be respected. And so there's this idea of impeaching them based on lying. They lied to get their position because there were a lot of Democrats who supported them based on or and helped confirm them based on their their positions on Roe. And yet they lied to get the job, got the job, and then overturned Roe. So that should qualify them for impeach or yeah, qualify them for impeachment. So I guess this is such a three-pronged question, but the idea here is is there any legs to this impeaching Thomas based on not only him lying about Roe v. Wade, but eventually his wife now being involved in the whole overturning the election situation? And is it possible to impeach Barrett and and uh, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh for being misleading during their confirmation hearings? Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna answer all those questions, but first I'm gonna dodge them and say one of the things that would help us here that is an easier win than impeachment is imposing binding ethics rules on the U S Supreme court. 
There are no ethics rules, or uh, that's not actually, that's a, a little misleading. There's no way to enforce any ethics rules or laws against uh, Supreme Court justices right now. Um, and we, Congress could change that tomorrow. Um, they could put a binding code of ethics. They, the justices are supposed to do these things and they're supposed to follow them. And my understanding is that it hasn't, uh, Congress has not done anything in the name of uh, comedy and the name of separation of powers. But I think Congress could do this and apply. And if the Supreme Court wants to say, actually, you can't apply ethics rules to us, then I think that's a, that's a public relations win for us, certainly. Okay, so that is something that I think everybody ought to be advocating for right now. There needs to be a, a binding code of ethics on the Supreme Court, and there needs to be some way to enforce that. So that when Clarence Thomas, when a case about uh, the election and January 6th comes before Clarence Thomas, whose wife is just utterly swimming in that just putrescence. I mean, she was texting with the White House chief of staff about trying to get the election overturned. Yeah. So she and was so definitely, we, we she wasn't get, just. He a, has to recuse himself. And if he doesn't, right. he, he, he So, I mean, that that's something that we can do. Okay. Okay. So can we impeach a sitting Supreme Court justice? Yes. That's one of the ways that we can remove him. Is it likely um, or is it going to succeed if we do? And I, I think the answer to that is very clearly no. I mean, for two reasons. One, think of what the Republicans did to get the Supreme Court in the first place. Mitch McConnell held open that seat for more than a year to put Gorsuch on. Then they completely just utterly swallowed their pride and their and just showed their hypocrisy for everybody to put Barrett on that court. Did not care. They expended all their political capital to do it. They got it there. You're not going to get a Republican to vote for conviction and removal of one of these Supreme Court justices after they worked so goddamn hard to take over the court in wait, the first place. It's, wait, it's wait. just not going to happen. Who, who would have to vote to confirm it? The Senate? Senate. You need 60. Or which you, I can't, 60 or 66. I'm sorry. I can't remember. Right? I don't remember whether it's a majority mm, or super. Okay. Um, but okay. uh, it, it is, it's, um, it's not going to happen. But, but okay. theoretically, if, um, there was Impeaching a huge, Supreme Court justice is possible. It's happened once in our well, history. Well, what I was saying is, theoretically, if there was a giant blue wave in the midterms, yes. like bigger than we've ever seen, and yes. and Democrats showed up by the millions, if they showed up like they did in 2020, and absolutely crush it, and we end up with some ridiculous majority, 60, 65 senators, then, then these things could happen. Yes. In that hypothetical, however expanding the Supreme Court is still on the table and still an option, right? And you, if you have the votes to impeach, you have the votes to do that. And it's actually a lower bar to expand the Supreme Court. So food for thought there. Okay. Uh, okay. Wait, and you, by the way, you, you could do both. You could, you could, you could, I mean, you could impeach and you could expand and then you could have, Oh, I don't know, seven seats to fill. Sure. Like yeah. I, or expand I, first, expand first, and then go back yeah. and impeach the ones that are violating the ethics. There you go. And so, um, and so what about Thomas specifically when it comes to his wife? I mean, just recusing himself, I don't think is enough because she, you know, if she's just a private citizen doing her own thing and is only the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, she wouldn't be able to text Mark Meadows, the, the, she has the that chief of staff. Because of who she's married exactly. To. So I mean, she and, used and, her. And look, I mean, this, this web is so much more 
influential and incestuous than people realize. Um, so, you know, I've, t- I've mentioned Leonard Leone, the Federalist Society a few times before. Um, they have an organization that they are affiliated with uh, that really kind of runs the the judges uh, for the conservative legal movement, the Judicial Crisis, crisis Network. They spent tens of millions to confirm Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and Barrett. Um, they spread misinformation about uh, other nominees. And and Carrie Severino is is was listed as the she was the sole employee of the Judicial Crisis Network. And that's not because it's this small organization, but because it's a shell for Leonard Leo and the Federalist Society. Um, so Severino um, is has she clerked for Clarence Thomas. Okay, Carrie Severino clerked for Clarence Thomas, um, whose wife, Ginny, of course, has the deep ties to, to what I call in my book this, this crusader network, including like the Council for National Policy, the Heritage Foundations, including um, some people who were litigating cases before her husband, in, including First Liberty Institute, oh uh, which litigated the case of the coach that imposed prayers on students. Uh, oh. Yes. Okay. So uh, one of J- one of the Judicial Crisis Network's uh, original founders is also a former former Thomas clerk, um, and they have this this listserv of all these these former clerks, um, you know, and they talk about January sixth. You know, one of them wrote um, uh, about January sixth that she had been praying. We've been praying our knees off. Uh, that January 6th would see light and truth being shed on what we believe in our hearts was likely a stolen election, and quote, that Trump would be determined to be the legitimate winner, which is something that Clarence Thomas might have had to decide. Um, you know, John Eastman, people know that name now, the legal architect of the failed January insurrectionist. Uh, I mean, he's a former Thomas clerk, and he weighed in on that listserv against the election results too. I didn't know it's, that. I didn't know he was a former Thomas Clark. I I saw today, or yeah, just today they they announced um, a second warrant to raid his house. I think. Good, but I yeah, mean, I'm, I mean, I didn't know he was a Justice Thomas clerk. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so I mean, I'll give you a little more. It's flavor. just a crazy yeah. factory, Andrew. Yeah, it is. And this is and this is all, again, this is all an American crusade. Please go pre-ordered if you're listening. So uh, in April of 2020, Ginny Thomas was serving as one of eight members on the Council for National Policy Action Board. Um, that board was chaired by a man named Kelly Shackelford, who is the president and CEO of First Liberty Institute. And First Liberty Institute brought the case of the Bladensburg Cross, that 40-foot-tall Christian cross that was on government property that the mm-hmm. Supreme Court decided in 2019. Um, he also brought the case of the football coach. And do you want to guess which other one? Mm. The case out of Maine oh. involving the schools. Wow. Uh, they were co-counsel in that. And th- that that doesn't even get into the, the, the lawsuits that First Liberty filed challenging, like COVID restrictions and things like that. So Ginny Thomas and Shackelford served together. Also, it gets better on the steering committee of the Save Our Country Coalition, uh, which called those, you know, COVID COVID measures, uh, the health measures, unconstitutional power grabs. Right. And this is just this is just I mean, this is Jane Mayer reporting in The New Yorker. Like, who knows what you actually get if you investigate this um, and get her under oath. So. I think there is a lot of there there is the this is what this is what I'm getting at. Um, 
and I, I don't know that you have grounds to to impeach now, but I I, I think that it's certainly worth worth an investigation. For so sure. your so and, your your answer though back just back on the whole packing the yeah. court thing when I say why haven't they done it, you, you say I think some people still view it as are we. I mean, I, I don't know if because of your position or you don't want to go directly and attack Biden. I'm pissed off at him. I, I, I think he's not doing enough. I think he's not responding in kind. I think he's allowing them to do what they're doing. And there is no swift justice. He's like, I'll write an executive order that does really nothing. And so he's not I mean, doing it worse than that. And the Republicans yeah. that I argue with go, hey, you guys in charge. Nothing's happening. And I'm going, that's the one thing you're right about. He's not doing what we who elected him want him to do to stop this kind of conservative activism bullshit from taking over our country. We don't want to be ruled by a Christian nationalist minority court, but Joe Biden is allowing it by not pushing for the packing of the Supreme Court. Does Joe Biden even have anything to do with it? Is it the Congress that needs to do it? Like, who needs to light a fire under their ass? Like, which, who, why isn't it happening? Is it, is it Congress? Is it the Senate? Is it Joe Biden? Who can be the catalyst and why do you think it's not happening? We can be the catalyst. I mean, we have not made it a priority and people didn't realize, I, I, I genuinely think, I, I believe this. And I say this as somebody who has been screaming about this for a very long time, that people did not recognize the threat that the Supreme Court posed until a couple of weeks ago. I, genu I genuinely believe that. Um, you know, what Biden did when he first came into office was he he established a, a presidential commission, which the, the purpose of those is to kick the can down the road on 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 the Supreme Court. That mm -hmm. was the, the commission, um, and he they successfully did that. There were members of that commission who, as they were on it, were like, "Oh, we actually do need to to expand the Supreme Court. That is the only solution here." Um, and they wrote some really great op eds on that point. I, I wrote an op-ed in the progressive magazine in, in December of last year when they when this commission released its report, um, taking them down, you know, and I, I explained in there, I wrote something along the lines of, we aren't going to be able to fight the climate crisis unless we expand the court. I wrote that reproductive rights are gone unless we expand the court. And that the same is going to be true of contraception and marriage. Equality. And, and, and you're, and you're called an alarmist for that. I know. I know. I know, but I mean, but the the problem here, and this is this is what this is what I saw that I was trying to tell everybody, and I hope people are realizing, every progressive plan, every public health order, every vaccine mandate, every abortion ban, every voter ID law, everything can be brought before this Supreme Court, which is a captured and broken body. So fixing this court is all that matters. I mean, anything else we do. Any other fix that we come up with is going to that court so, by some other vehicle. So if you can, you're right. I'm a hundred percent with you. If you see that and I see that, and I know the majority yeah. of people listening are going, yeah, that's that, that. Let's do that. The people in power aren't. So before I ask you, like specifically, you say we need to. I want I want you to be more specific. Do we write our congressman? Do we? Yeah. Do we? Is there something that Americans United is putting out? Is there a form we can go to a website and click it and say pack the court? Like I want actual like action, an action item. Like we used to do this with other organizations that would come on and they would sort of do a like a a form online and people would go to a site and click it and it would just send it to their form based on their zip code. Is there something you can do with Americans United to 
to help them pack the court? And it's a two-part question because I still don't understand why it's not already happening, why Congress isn't doing it, why Biden's not pushing for it. I feel like if I were president, the moment this decision came down from the Supreme Court, I'd go, okay, okay, you've been pushing me for a while. You want to do this? You want to strip rights away? You want to give preferential treatment to one religion? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pack the court. And that would be my focus until there were 13 justices on that court. Why isn't Biden making that a priority? Why isn't Congress making that a priority? I, I, I am not, I guess, enough of an insider to know for sure that answer. I do think that overall the response to the Dobbs decision in particular because because we knew it was coming, we knew what it was going to say, which has never happened. Uh, was was horribly botched. I mean, that there there should have been plans in place to immediately fight back against this, and 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 the administration is doing a better job now for sure. Um, they're they're working on 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 instituting some of these measures. Um, I mean, and and Congress, you know, I mean, there there are forty eight Democrats. There are 50 Republicans and there are two independents in Congress. That that is the breakdown of this Congress. And you need 51 to do anything uh, and 60 to do most things. Um, it, and and we that that does was not that? exist. Sorry, what was the breakdown Congress. again? 48 Democrats, 50 Republicans, and two independents. Mm. So we have a simple majority, but we don't have the. We don't, have, we don't have a majority. Well, with the independents, we do. I mean, even when they caucus, we have a we have a we have a draw. I mean, and we can break the tie. Um, that's, that's what I. You mean. know what I mean? My point being, like we, it, it is it is hard, and I, I I completely feel everybody's frustration here. And again, <clears throat> I think in some cases more than most because like. I have been yelling at the top of my lungs about this for so long. Um, but I, I, I do see people, we have to wake people up and, and, and have this same conversation and people need to under, not everybody is connecting the dots. Not everybody is ready to say, yes, we, we should expand the Supreme court, uh, for a, a lot of the reasons that you raised and a lot of the questions that you asked, um, people don't get, Hey, uh, the court itself is the problem. And even, even you, David, who are, you know, I, I mean, I, I, like on my side on this, right? Like I'm helping you along with, with talking about this and, and the language and explaining like, no, right. We're, we're not talking about packing the court. They packed the court that mm -hmm. was already done. You know, these kind of things that I, people need to really come around to where we are. And that, that is, that is starting to happen. And if we can get people to realize where we are, the way out is obvious. The solution to this is obvious. Um, and I mean, it does, it does depend on the outcome of elections, unfortunately. How do you feel uh, about, how do you feel about the idea I brought up around Americans United having a form on the website where people can enter their zip code and hit okay. And it'll send it to their representative. Is there, can we do something like that? Yeah, I mean, and all of the organizations I know right now are looking at that. And I should say, too, like Americans United has done phenomenal work, especially as we've been under assault um, with the separation of church and state. But like never before has it been the case 
that the Supreme Court was the main barrier to keeping state and church separate. And all, all, all the secular groups are playing some catch up right there. Um, there are some phenomenal groups that are, are focused just on court reform, uh, like Fix the Court and, and Demand Justice is, is uh, a really, really fantastic organization that I would recommend everybody go support. Um, and the number one thing I think, I honestly believe this, and I know it's going to sound trite, is, is to have these conversations and, and, and learn these arguments and start convincing people in your lives. Because there are just a lot of average folks out there who are looking at the court and going, well, what is going on there and so, not connecting it with this bigger problem? So here's the, here's the issue just now, because I'm trying oh. to give an action item. Like yeah. if, if, if Americans United wants to create this form I'm talking about, if you guys do that, I mean, this was the, this would be the perfect time to say, here's the website, go do it. I'm sure people are fired up from this discussion. And this is almost an act of desperation. We need to do this. And I'm, I'm sure they would, by the thousands, people would go sign it today, but it, I don't know where it exists. So I go to Google it and see if anybody else has done it. When I Google pack the court petition, <laughs> I, I see hands off the Supreme Court. Yeah. And then I see, um, here's here's a another one that says stop president biden's political ploy to pack the supreme court and then i see something from april of 21 from nbc news saying that democrats introduced bill to expand supreme court from 9 to i think it says 13 and yeah. and it just nothing ever happens with it so uh if you want if 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 americans united creates that form come back on and tell us we have an eager group of well, people who want to help. So where and I, I mean, I will tell people to go demandsjustice.org has this right now. And I also wanted to, to flag this as a resource. So if you go to demandjustice.org slash expand the court, um, they they have they have a good chunk of these arguments and probably some even some better ones. Um than so I've, demand justice. Sorry, demandjustice.org slash what? Supreme Court? Expand oh, the court. Expand the court, sorry. So they have they have a they have some drop down menus that they give you a lot of these arguments and then at the bottom they have a learn more and take action. Uh, Got it. And, yep. and it, it's that exactly that thing you can that that link will take you to a form and you can fill it out. Talk to your elected officials. And I love how they worded they worded it how you would restore balance by adding four seats to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I were, I've worked very, very closely with with Chris Kang and a bunch of people that demand justice. They're they're a really great organization. They also have a very interesting uh, long form. Um, I guess I might call it like a like a web magazine uh, called Balls and Strikes, which is fantastic. If you want to read more about this kind of stuff, it's a fantastic place to go. I'm I'm on the site now. I'm looking at it. Step one, I click it, and it's just it opens up and tells me a little paragraph about it. But there's nothing for me to. Oh wait. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, sign up. Here we go. You got to keep scrolling down. There's three boxes. Meet with your congress members, call your senator, or sign the petition. Let me click sign the petition. It goes to action network. There's also that big take action button on the top right that people people can do. Um, Call yours. And then that brings up the call and the letter to Congress and meet with members of Congress. Okay. Yeah. All right. I just think it could be simplified. I think there could be one letter that's oh, pre yeah. that's pre done, and you type in your zip code, and it goes. You're just your your representatives are this person and this person. Click here to send them the message, and it you just within three or four clicks you can send a, a pre written message to demand to pack the court. Um, I, I if if 
if something like that happens, please come back and let me know. I don't have the I don't have the ability to create that, but uh, if if it happens, let me know. I know the people listening are are ready to be involved and are ready to help. So I'm sure they would sign it by the thousands. There are ten. I, I, there are tens of us, Andrew. <laughs> that's why. That's why I'm here. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean, I. I mean, I well, I you know, you asked me, and I I do want to touch on this a little bit. Um, you asked me if I have, how I have hope, or kind of something along those lines, right? Like, you know, th- I mean, this is a pretty, this is a really dark moment. This is one of the worst rollbacks for progress in our lifetimes. Um, I mean, we are in a, a dawning era where the rule of law no longer exists, exists unless it happens to coincide with the political will of the, you know, the, the sixth justice of the apocalypse. Um, which is not the rule of law. Um, but, but I do have hope. Um, and I, I, just, I, I, ta- I touched on this before, but you know, th- this is an exclusionary, exclusive, deceitful movement that we are fighting against. And, and the very fact that the movement is seeking to enshrine minority rule is why I find hope. Because, because it, it answers why all of this is happening, right? That the Christian nationalists are raging against the dying of their power and their privilege. You know, they, they were never going to go gently into the obsolescence for which they are bound. So they packed the courts to prevent that. And I mean, you know, the, the fight is coming, becoming harder when it comes to the courts as we've discussed. Um, but it's, it's getting easier and better every day, socially and demographically. Right, almost every month there's new studies and there's new data showing that Americans are leaving religion and churches behind. And as our demographics become more secular, our politics will too. There's going to be less reason to cater or pander to p- specific religious blocks. You know, I mean, really, Christian nationalism is is on the way out. That they are reading the same Pew and uh, PRRI headlines that we are. You know, that they look out on Sunday mornings and instead of seeing young smiling faces, they're seeing empty pews. You know, I, I, I wrote The Founding Myth and American Crusade, both of which, again, I hope people go get at their local well, library. I, I want to say I, I Googled it, and there's another book called American Crusade that's not by <laughs> you. So I want everyone to be sure you type in the part that says how the Supreme Court is weaponizing religious freedom, because I don't want you to buy the yeah. wrong book. Because I don't know, that guy doesn't look like he's on our side. I'd have to go read it, but I am definitely judging his book by the cover. He is a Fox News host, Pete Hicks. Ah, I knew it. I, I've I've been on his show before. Uh, he is not a friend or a fan uh, of mine. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah. Okay. Uh, or, or or Google Seidel American Crusade. Yeah. I'm not the dude posing on the cover with the American flag. <laughs> no, it's the Fleck, it's the scales of justice on your cover. It's red <laughs> with the scales of justice, which actually should be there. Um, yeah. a, a couple, a so, couple more things, a couple more things yeah. before I, before I let you go here. Yeah, of course. I, I, you know, this idea of codifying, is it, first of all, am I saying it right? Because I hear codify and codify. I'm hoping codify is correct. I say codify. Okay. Then I'm, I'm in good company. And the, I, I hear the argument from people 
why didn't your people take care of it? You had precedent for 49 years. Why didn't you codify abortion rights when you had majorities? What's the answer behind that? Is that our Democrats weren't democratty enough? Were they not liberal enough? Or were there filibusters that stopped it? Why did we fail to codify something so basic? Because the, the right is threatening to codify it in the other direction now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, hindsight is is twenty twenty for sure. Um, I it was a constitutional right up until a few weeks ago. I mean, like that the, the Constitution is the highest protection. It is the supreme law of the land. It says so right there in on the parchment. You know, that there there's nothing higher than that, and I mean. I mean, what would have <laughs> what would have happened uh, if if we had codified that uh, with after Trump won and had both 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 branches of uh, Congress? I don't know. I mean, like like to me to me that's a, that's a that's a waste of. It's a wasted exercise. You know what? Uh, you know, it, it may, maybe they didn't power now. Maybe they didn't codify Roe for the same reasons the founders didn't put rights to abortion in the constitution. It was so obviously a part of healthcare that they didn't think they needed to include it. It it would be like saying you have a you have a right to go to, you know, a doctor if you need one or or something, you know, that you can't no state can ban someone from seeking medical attention. Like yeah. that's also I mean, not like in a, the constitution. Like, like a good analog right now um would be the right to to travel. Right, because the right to travel is not in the Constitution, except not explicitly written down in the Constitution, but it is in there. Um, we've we've recognized that as a constitutional right that we have. But the uh, anti-reproductive freedom crowd is doing their is going to do their damnedest to try to undo that right, so that they can prevent people from traveling across state borders to to get reproductive health care. Um, and you know. Is that a place where we need to be spending a lot of time and political capital right now to to codify that right? I mean, I Andrew, really Andrew, I would have said no a year ago. I would have said yeah. no six months ago. Yeah, but exactly. Now, but that's, now, that's the point that I'm trying to make. Right? Now like, I think I'm in favor of codifying everything that makes sense. We yeah. have a right to breathe. Let's codify that before <laughs> conservatives make that a Christian privilege. Yeah. I mean, but that, that, that's my point, right? Like now, now the scales have fallen from our eyes to borrow from the, the book, uh, you know, and, and, and these things are more obvious than they were five, 10 years ago, even when there was still an assault on, on those very rights. Uh, so, okay. The, 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 the last piece here is this woman, I know you heard the recording I'm, I'm going to butcher her last name, but it's Peggy Nian neighbor, nay neighbor, nine neighbor. Um, she apparently was recorded on uh, some kind of secret audio bragging about the fact that her organization prays with the Supreme Court. Oh, yes. And that they're invited <laughs> inside the courthouse to do so. And she quote, she said, she's like, we're the only people who do that. 
And uh, apparently she's also with a group that brings cases before the court. So at the very least, it's a conflict of interest. Now, now, you know, I, I, I tweeted about this. And of course, the conservatives came in droves saying things like, oh, you don't you want to you don't you want to restrict rights of justices to be able to pray? What's wrong with the Supreme Court justice having faith? We have the freedom of religion, bro. And it's like, it's not that they can't pray. It's just like with this coach going to the 50-yard line. The fact that they show up for work, walk into our public building where they decide cases. And then this woman who apparently has a building like right in the back, I don't know if she's in like a little witch's corner or outhouse or shack or whatever, but she's got a little spot right behind there. And she comes into the courthouse and prays with the justices. That's, it. it it's, it's, it's very disturbing and uh, not only that, but then she brings courses, uh, cases before the court. So w- what is the deal with that? And is that a violation? Is that a problem? Do we also need to address it? Yeah. I mean, and, and I, you know, again, I talk about a lot of the, the webs, these influential and incestuous webs of power that, that um, the Supreme Court is trapped in. Um, and, and this is one of them that we saw exposed after the the Roe decision. And it wasn't just some group that she's affiliated with. It's Liberty Council. It's the group that brought the Boston Christian oh. flag case. It's the the group that was litigating for Kim Davis. Oh, um, and my that, God. That also won that. a shadow docket decision on a COVID case um, uh, during the last couple of years, right? So, I mean, the, it's not just some group that's out there. It's one of these crusaders who is working to weaponize religious freedom and that I talk about extensively in the new book. Um, and, and I mean, there, there are a lot of really interesting and alarming things that are coming to light. And I think in part, David, is because we are seeing, again, those, we're seeing the scales fall from people's eyes about this Supreme Court. It's not treated as this body, uh, that is tasked with applying the rule of law. You know, I think journalists and a lot of us are finally starting to look at these justices as politicians. Which is which is what they are. I mean, especially the ultra conservative block on the court and investigating them like politicians and kind of pulling back the curtain uh, to check out, you know, what the wizards doing back there. Uh, I think we're going to see more of this. One thing that I was looking at was the Supreme Court Historical Society, um, which was also mentioned uh, in in one of those groups. Um, and Kelly Shackelford, who I talked about earlier, who's uh, on runs First Liberty, uh, is a member of that, uh, as was uh, Jay Seculo and a couple of these other crusaders who run these crusading groups who, uh, you know, apparently have um, this this access to the justices through the, the Supreme Court Historical Society. So uh, I think we're, point being, that I'm just pointing to smoke right there. But there's probably some fire down below that I think we're going to hear more and more and more and more about. Wow. Well, man, I know you're a busy guy. I appreciate you. Um, Because I I could have had this conversation just with you over the phone. uh, And I would have enjoyed it just as much. And you would have pissed me off just as much. (laughs) So, But but thank you for being willing to do it. And um, it makes total sense to me that you're, you're handling as the vice president of strategic communications. I I've, I've always thought you were more of a communications guy. I'm glad you're no longer out there litigating. Uh, you are the Neil deGrasse Tyson of, 
of constitutional law. And and I want you out here communicating. You're so damn good at it. And your 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 passion is unmatched. And so thank you for what you're doing. I know it's hard and I know you get paid and I know it's a job, but damn it, we need you now more than ever. So thank you so much for what you're doing. And if you want to thank Andrew for what he's doing and inform yourself, go get the book. It's American Crusade, How the Supreme Court is Weaponizing Religious Freedom. And follow him on TikTok. It's Andrew L. Seidel. Andrew L. Seidel, S-E-I-D-E-L. Um, I'm a friend, but I'm also a fan, man. I love what you're doing, and thanks for all the hard work you're putting out there. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to come chat, and it was it was good to good to hear your voice again, my friend. Same here, buddy. And people can go support um, Americans United for the Separation of Church and State. What's the website there? AU.org. And please do. We really need all the help we can get right now. Especially right now. As always, the conversation will continue in the comments at patreon.com slash David C. Smalley. I would love to have you be a part of the conversation. So join us over there, patreon.com slash David C. Smalley. If you're not coming with us, please at least drive like you know each other. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 